This is episode number 142 of the Rising Man podcast with Kioni Hanale. To forget one's ancestors is to be a tree without a root. Welcome back, Rising Man family, and thank you for joining me today. This is Jetty Azuma here checking in. I'm your host and the creator of the podcast, as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. Our mission, our objective here at Rising Man is to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose and powerful leadership so that our children and our children's children and our children's children's children will have the leaders that they need to encounter an unknown, uncertain future. That's what we're facing off with here. And this is the best way we believe we can impact the future generations. And so if you've been out there listening to the podcast for a while, just listening, just tuning in, grabbing some of that wisdom that we have each and every week, applying it to your life maybe in some kind of way, I challenge you to take a bigger step forward. Take a step closer to the fire to join us in our community, to be a bigger part of the Rising Man movement and whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you've been listening for a while. Maybe you're already a part of our men's fire circles. Maybe you've even done a round of Inferno or have joined us on a four-day wilderness initiation. But what is that next step for you? What is that next opportunity for you to step in, to lean in, to challenge yourself to be more uncomfortable? Because if we can do the work in being uncomfortable now, then we can set up the future generations even better. So whatever that next step is for you, we got something for you. So go to risingman.org and see what is the next layer for you to plug yourself into this Rising Man community. Okay, my guest for today is Kioni Hanale. Kioni is a descendant of the Mu people. He was fortunate to become Hanaid by his grandmother upon birth and spent the first five years of his life immersed in ancient practice and mysticism. He is just one of only a handful of practitioners who have access and are willing to share this ancient archaic knowledge or pre-flood Ike. Kioni is versed in fern medicine, ancient primal meditative and movement practices which incite cellular memory, DNA activation, and the comprehension of familial and lineal wisdom through the reading of the nervous system and DNA. I didn't even attempt to introduce Kioni using the words of the place that he comes from and the people from which he comes because I did not want to do any disservice to those words and those names of ancestors, but he will be doing so in the first couple of minutes of this episode. Kioni completely blew my mind. I'm talking about gray matter all over the floor. Right off the bat, we dropped into the importance of generational wisdom. Kioni shared how he and his people have preserved the names and stories of 1,017 generations of ancestors. 1,017 generations. Crazy. We spoke about ancestral wisdom that lives in our DNA, stored in the spinal cord and cerebrospinal fluid, and how ancient movement practices can awaken and release that wisdom. I asked Kioni how those of us who only know two or three layers of our ancestry can start to make connections with where we came from and who we are. We opened up a dialogue about masculine and feminine, and why Kioni claims to be energetically androgynous. Last but not least, we spoke about the importance of living into the purpose, or kiakahi, we came into this life with. Without further ado, Kioni Hanale. Rising Man family, I've got another new brother joining us on the show here today, my bro Kioni Hanale from, where, where exactly are you located right now? I'm in Maui. 
Maui. In Maui. Okay. And I told you before we started recording, I was going to ask you to introduce yourself with that beautiful introduction you gave me in your bio. So I'll just hand it over to you to do that. Yeah, mahalo. I'm so grateful to be with you all. And mahalo, thank you, Brother Jetty. So my name is Keoni Hanale, and I come from a really long line of people known as Mu or Mu. And this genealogy spans, at least in our Mo'oku'ohau, in our lineage, 20,000 years, which means that we know the names of everyone that spans 20,000 years. This is 1,017 generations. I was raised by my grandmother. Her name is Kawiki Onalani. So my grandmother, Kawiki Onalani, she hanaid me, which is adopt. She adopted me when I was born so that I would receive the ike or the knowledge of our lineage. So every generation in succession of any, every generation holds like a purpose, what we call kiakahi. So instilled upon me is the kiakahi, the purpose of all of my ancestors. So what I share today, and it spans, you know, not just sharing the ike, the knowledge, but also you know, the embodiment of it, movement practices, breathing, plant medicine. Uh, this is all things that I learned from my grandmother. So it's just uh, an honor for me to really show up and to represent not just my lineage, but an entire culture of people because the Mu culture is not very well known. There's a lot of assumptions made about it. So I'm just happy that I actually have evidence, proof of the culture. Beautiful, man. And just so that I understand correctly, your lineage predates the Polynesian migration into the Hawaiian Islands. Is that correct? That's true. So your legacy of people are the ones who were there when other people came and began settling or interweaving into that area of the world, correct? Yeah, yeah. The current timeline, they have the Tahitians arrived in Hawaii maybe 2000 years ago. But like I was saying, my lineage goes back 20,000 years and it places us here. Uh, and more specifically in what is known as Papahanaumokuakea or the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, which are now just shoals or atolls or sandbars, but they used to be habitable islands. So, I mean, this is how old the lineage is. It's pre-flood. Okay. I've got a lot of questions about your genealogy before we get into our topic, because it's incredible to me, man. I have a couple of brothers who are Maori who came out here for an event that we hosted. That's actually where I met Ryan, who Ryan, shout out to Ryan Wilcox, who connected us. We mm -hmm. connected with these two brothers. And this was the first time I met folks who knew their ancestry for many generations, not just two or three, not just your great grandparents, but way back. So when you tell me that you guys have records of 1,017 generations before you over 20,000 years, just explain to me a little bit how that works. How do you keep track of that? How does that show up in the storytelling or the transmission from one generation to another? Yeah. So there's two ways that we preserve the lineage. One is oral. It's in chant. And we have something called an olimo'ukuohau. It's a lineal chant. Now the chant is just us repeating the names going back 20,000 years. And it's kind of funny because our family, when we, when we, you know, talk about our Oli how we say we have to do it in shifts because it takes so long. <laughs> how, like, yeah, how long does something like that take? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the first day. Okay. You do the second day. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's days, huh? It's days of this, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It can go up to 10 days because you can also embellish the Oli with talking about their kiakahi, the purpose. And then you can talk about time and place as well. So actual locations and the actual time that that person existed. So you can really embellish it. Of course, the most proficient way is just to do the names. That's how we're taught first. It's just the names so we don't become overwhelmed. And then we begin to add and learn more. 
And now the second way that we preserve this Ike, this knowledge, it's coded in our spinal cord. We call it the EV cool mole. So to the Mu culture, the spinal cord, and this is really similar to some cultures in Asia, such as Sri Lanka and, and India, but the spinal cord is, I guess the term today, you could say the Akashic record. It's the Akashic record of memory, of primordial memory. So coated within the spinal cord and held within the cerebral spinal fluid, which we call the EV vi, is all the records, all the records of not just the family, but of consciousness itself. So we have different breathing and movement practices. And I, this is something that I teach. It's called ulu. And it's a way of invigorating and flexing the spinal cord so it becomes friendly and it expands. And then we go into what is known as disclosure. Then we begin to understand. And we do this gradually. Otherwise, it would it has a capacity to really like blow your mind, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm already, I mean, my mind's already all over the floor. I don't know about anybody listening. <laughs> I didn't even start moving with you yet, man. I'm just like, just blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Keep going, please. <laughs> so, so those are the two ways that we have preserved our lineage. And so that this also means that this is the two most important things that someone who's Hanite, such as myself, learns. So before I could learn to walk, I was already simulating the spiral. I was already learning how to flex my spinal cord. So that's like... Intuitively or your your parents, your elders were teaching you how to do these movements? Specifically my grandmother and then also the elders. The elders that also cared for me with my grandmother. This is one of the first things that I was taught. Wow. Okay. I'm going to hit you with some questions because I have so many. And I have to front load this with, this is a conversation that we've been having a lot here on the podcast. I've had guys from many different cultural backgrounds here to talk about the importance of ancestry. And it's my personal belief, what I've extrapolated from all this, I'm third generation Japanese American, and I also have Italian and European lineage on my mother's side. But beyond my great grandfather, I don't know any of my ancestors' names. I don't know what their life purpose was. I don't know their story. And I know that that's the condition For so many people, especially in the United States, especially in the Western world, who are the descendants of migrant peoples, right? And so it's my belief that everything that you're speaking about here, these ancient movement practices, these ancient teachings, the passage of wisdom across generations that span thousands of years was broken and interrupted once our peoples, whatever culture you come from, began to migrate. And I don't know if it's the root of a lot of these problems, but to me, it's supremely important because if we don't know where we come from, if we don't have the same richness of culture that's been passed on, then we don't know who we are. We don't know where to even start. All that information that's coded in our spinal cord, if it starts to come up, I'm like, well, what do I do with this? What are these things that are awakening in me? And I also see the parallel between a lot of spinal maladies in the Western society too. You know, back issues, spinal cord issues, you know, limited flexibility in that area of the body that I'm sure you have something to say about that. I'm sure it's all tied together. Yes, right on, brother. And and let me just say, your mix, when I first saw you, I was like, is he Hawaiian? Yeah. So, <laughs> maybe. I, don't, I might be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so genealogy, the severing of the genealogy is the severing of the memory. And many believe that this is intentional because if we're severed from sacred knowledge, if we're severed from sacred knowing, then we don't know how to express and to enforce our kiakahi, our purpose as sovereign beings based upon primordial memory. So for many, and and I believe this to be true, that the severing was intentional. Now, in our culture, 
You don't need to know all 1,017. What's really critical, and this is also in a lot of Native American, is at least seven, at least seven generations. Because in our culture, there's something really significant about the seventh, is that me and that person, we are an energetic match. So that person's kiakahi purpose overlaps mine. I'm going to have to resource that person in order to express and embody my gift. Now, coded within our names is our purpose. So seven generations, my maternal, my mother's paternal line, her name is Vivi Hoi Va. Now, Vivi Hoi Va means to wade through lava. So <laughs> it's very poetic because the Hawaiian language is very poetic. <laughs> but to wade through lava means to move through a density, to move through an incredible sh shift. So what happened uh, during Vivi Hoiva's time is two, two really significant things. One, the arrival of Christianity. It changed everything about Hawaiian spirituality and also the breaking of what is known as Aikapu or the ancient traditions collapsed. So she, Vivi Hoiva, had to carry a lineage way through that density to preserve it so it wouldn't become corrupted by this, this really new culture. Now, my name, Keoni Hanalei, means the spiral has hurled forth. So once again, we're talking about blasting through something, a distortion, and just look what's happening in our world. So I have to resource Vivi Hoiva, have an intimate, energetic relationship with her to be guided through this time which is very similar to her time. And if you talk to many Hawaiian families, it's all aligned. It's really, really sophisticated. It's practical, but it's also very spiritual. Right. What I've found in on the Red Road and Native American church way is that there's always those two, right? There's the functional, which maybe that we can label that as the masculine or the yang, right? And then there's the spiritual, which is more of the yin, which is like that feminine. Because And that was my next question was, I'm wondering the mechanics of learning 1,017 generations and names. Is, is, is this something that is just repeated to you as a child and you hear it and witness it at what level of frequency so that you can inhabit that yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely audible but it's more so felt now when we do practices like ulu and we align it with different breathing patterns so we create a rhythm and we go into that field of disclosure the nervous system becomes activated and you have to read your nervous system as if it's braille so this is really, really removing ourselves from this fixation on external conditions and needing to be cued by external conditions. Once again, placing myself within my sovereignty, within my own knowing, no longer being so influenced by external conditions, having this intimate relationship with one, the body, the very functional part, and then by way of the body, the instrument, accessing those spiritual aspects. Now the nervous system becomes coded and then I read my nervous system, like it's a uh, braille. So again, man, my, I needed a mop because my mind is all over the floor. <laughs> You're speaking so much truth into me that I've felt in my lifetime and had no words for it, right? <laughs> the inexplicable places where I, I don't know why this wisdom came to me. I don't know why I feel this connection. It's hitting me and I'm sure that there's other people who are gonna resonate with this, but it also makes logical sense that we were led to forget that part of ourselves. Because if you start talking to any person on the street right now and say, hey, you've got all the wisdom you'll ever need inside of your body. You just need to go and begin searching it and, and having a relationship with it. People are gonna think you're nuts. Most people are gonna think that you're crazy. 
And even to begin that relationship, even if you're like, okay, well, I'm on board with that. That sounds good. I don't need to go to school or read a book. I can go internal. Where do we even start? Yeah. And brah, this is what radiance is. And this is like as a collective, as a sovereign person, this is an overwhelming kiyakahi purpose. It's for us to radiate. Now, if I'm accumulating data, if all I do is accumulate data, allow myself to be influenced by external conditions. And, and this is a really sobering uh, conclusion to come to, but just pause and then feel into this. The external conditions, that to which is influencing me, one, do I believe in it? No. <laughs> Why am I subscribing to something I don't believe in? Two, do I have faith in it? No. Why am I subscribing to something I don't have faith in? So rather, I need to locate my own sovereignty, radiate, and thus influence and inspire the external conditions. So in Mu culture, in the culture, we call this a makdas, and it's an epic reversal. And that's like one of the fabrics that's being offered to us right now is this opportunity to makdas, to just do this epic reversal and just express, radiate, exude. Wow. Okay. So (laughs) again, man, I understand the the functional side of this, the spiritual side of feeling connected to all of those ancestors. Because one of the things that I bring in, and I, I definitely don't consider myself an expert on this, but for people to realize that if you're alive here today, the only conclusion that we can all draw from is that you have ancestry that goes back hundreds of thousands of years, right? Hundreds of thousands of people did whatever they had to do in their lifetime so you could be here. Whether you know it logically or consciously in your mind, or if it's just encoded in your spinal column, like you said, it's a truth. It's an undeniable fact that we have that ancestry. So just dropping that bomb. Usually that's the bomb where I see people's minds go on the floor. They're like, oh my God, I never thought of that. I just, I, I know my grandparents and my Nana who, you know, was my grandma's mom, you know, but to think that we go back that far, that there's people who drank this water and it moved through their bodies and went back into the earth hundreds of thousands of years ago. And that we're still drinking those same waters now. Right. Those connections, we start to bridge connections. And then I find that at that point, it's like, well, then what? Now that I believe this and I'm starting to feel it in my body, what do I do with that now? Because I don't know their names. So what do you have for people in that position? Well, I definitely encourage everyone to begin researching your lineage. And oftentimes, all it takes is for you to know someone's name, a grandparent's name, great grandparent's name, even a surname, because at least that's going to locate you to a different environment, a location. And then you can review and study that. And that will open more and more doors for you to make these connections. I realized that I'm rather fortunate because I have been gifted this knowledge. I really didn't have to seek it. I was just taught how to resurrect it within me. But I will say this, is that once you begin, say you know your grandparents' name. I will utter that name every day throughout the day because what that does is it triggers the spinal cord, all right? It expands it, it makes it more friendly. So the utterance of a name is so incredibly important. Now we're working with this fabric known as succession and really becoming ma'a or aware of the power of succession, the knowledge of succession. Knowing also, and I love what you're saying about this, about hundreds of thousands of years, because since you and I are alive today, this means that you and I are the contemporary delegate. We're the ones with the body and the voice. So we need to show up. We're the representative, the delegate of all those hundreds of thousands, millions of people. We have been gifted the leo, the voice, the kino, the body, the instrument. So I always recommend just begin small. 
Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't, don't create a burden out of this. Begin really small and then allow your body, okay? Allow your spirit to tune it itself without having to reach for so much information. Whatever you have now, work on that, meditate on that, and the rest will really expand on its own. Man, just as you're saying that, I feel a sense of sadness and grief come over me, but also a lot of compassion and forgiveness because I hear you say that you can repeat the names of 1,017 generations, and there's a part of me deep down that has tremendous grief for that. The fact that I don't know those ancestors and that I, I don't know how to honor them in that specific way makes me really sad. And I realized that because I've always been more drawn to one side of my family, I've always felt a greater resonance and connection to my father's side, my Japanese lineage and resistance to my mother's side of the family to the point where I actually, if I'm being honest with myself, I haven't acknowledged those ancestors because I'm, they don't really feel like my people to some degree. And even saying that out loud, I feel shame and sadness around that because of course they are. And I don't even know what they did so that I could be here. And I, I feel angry at my grandfather because that information wasn't transmitted to me and I didn't receive it from him. And he passed away when I was 19. He's not here. I can't ask him that anymore directly. So I'm sharing that now because it's just very real. It's coming up. And I also have spoken to other people who feel similarly, who feel a sense of grief that we don't have that connection. And the relief aspect is that, of course, I can start with what I have right now. And I have small children that I can influence and give them the best of what I've got. It doesn't have to be trying to recapture something that isn't there for me to, to hold on to right now. Yeah, that's so beautifully said is whatever material and tools I have now to just emphasize that and allow that to be good enough for now. Because what happens when we go into these states of uh, disclosure, it's like a quantum leap. It's like, it's like an activation that is very mysterious. I don't know how all of a sudden I've been gifted with this information, with this knowledge, but that's really the sophistication of it too. And that's why if I just allow myself to be a clean slate, to rid myself of all these false narratives and false roles and false identities, that perhaps now I can be filled with that memory, with that knowing. Yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing. And I, like I told you before we started recording, I didn't know exactly where we were going to go, but this is so pivotal. It's so important right now in this time where so many people feel lost, where we've been either willfully and also unconsciously led to forget who we are and where we come from. You know, like you said, I think you said conveniently or intentionally, right? Intentionally, this has happened. It's a time where we get to recreate that and reestablish that so we can understand who we are and what our job is here. I talk to hundreds of guys and every single time, if they're not already moving in a trajectory, their biggest pain point is, I don't know what my purpose is. And when you introduce yourself, you said, my purpose is woven into my name. I was given that as a birthright, you know? So it's, it's just a really important starting point because usually I ask guys this question I'm about to ask you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? But I think everything that you preface this with is really important context to understand the answer to this question. <laughs> yeah. Would you like me to answer that question according to me? Well, and, and anything you have to say and then answer that question, please. <laughs> well, I just wanted to share, you know, that the overwhelming illness that has impacted the planet now is amnesia. That's all. It's amnesia. And a lot of us are actually coming into our knowing. And that's why I feel there's a lot of revolt because people who are coming into their truth are realizing that their truth, my truth is not compatible to this current narrative. But 
the veils are so thin that I can't not look at it. I can't not acknowledge it. And I can't not acknowledge it as natural. That feels good. This it doesn't feel good. In fact, this has been deprivation because ultimately what this has offered us, the only thing it's offered us is called war, war culture. And this is how I'm, you know, kind of going into a boy and a man is a man does not participate in war. A man is a warrior, but he is a warrior for the longevity of quality of life, the enforcement and longevity of quality of life not greed, not exploitation, because what the little boy is, in my opinion, and in my own experience, okay, I have the authority to say this because this was who I was. The little boy was insecure. And I feel like that's what has caused the opportunity, the masculine shift that we're shifting out of now, that has caused the distortion in it is insecurity. When I'm in insecurity, I'm performing. It's a perpetual performance. I haven't dropped into the heart. In the culture, the mantra of the kane or the man is pa vale puuvai, open your heart wider. Overwhelm a war with the open heart, the longevity, and the enforcement, the protection of quality of life. I've got a new definition of <laughs> what it means to be a man. And you just laid it down for me right there, man. No joke, dude. I, I've interviewed hundreds of guys. And what you're sharing with me right now is probably the most resonant information about ancestry and purpose and what it means to be a man that I've ever heard. I, I say that from a full and open heart. I'm really grateful. And I'm sitting here in the student seat right now, man, just soaking it up because those are words that represent what I felt deep down. It's probably that information that you said that's inside of my spinal cord. And man, grief is coming up again. It's like, wow, I've had so much other information that I've allowed, that I've chosen. Even if I didn't know better, I've chosen that other information over my birthright information, my ancestral DNA. So I'm acknowledging the grief and I'm also really grateful because there's another level of me just letting that go. And... I just want to hear more of what you have to say about what's packaged into this. You know, the, that distinction between boy and man is amazing. And I know you have a lot to say about the emotional grid of masculine, feminine and androgynous. So I'm going to just let you go pop the top off and I'll ask questions along the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mickey, I'm so humble. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You know, like as far as as the genders and the energy of genders, I just want to say that me, although I'm a gender male, I'm 100% masculine and I'm 100% feminine. I do not have favorites. And that's what we call the power of the androgynous space. And I always make this joke, bro. I'm always like, do you know what my superpower is? Androgyny. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> So it's just about understanding the functions of my feminine and my masculine. And you, you touched base on this previously. The feminine, the reason why I see feminine as the foundation is because the feminine governs and understands fluently faith, faith. She does this because she's in a meditative state, all right? There's very little action in the feminine and that's her skill. And that's why she can hold so much memory. She's not distracted. So she understands faith. Now, what's the other word for faith? Safety safety. I've been looking to my masculine this whole time to offer me safety, but it's the feminine. The masculine offers me security. There's a big difference between safety and security. So now understanding that the feminine understands faith, she understands memory. In today's culture, we would call that the intention. 
So she holds the intention. All right. But something has to happen in order for it. We need to move that intention. And this is where the brother comes in, my masculine, because he rules action, solutions, innovation, precision. In today's culture, we call that the manifestation. So I'm transferring an intention into a manifestation. Safety, the sense of safety, my foundation is laid. That to which I'm holding, I have faith in. Transfer it. Now, the masculine, just like we're saying about the boy and the man, ensures the longevity of that faith, ensures the enforcement of it so that we arrive at results. And this is what like Michael Puna, my elders would say, they would say, okay, boy, tell us who you are, but then show us. Let's see results. Let's see results. Make it practical. Make it tangible. Remove it from a fantasy. Any fantasy, no matter how big I dream, I can make that practical by applying action, precision, and creating results. So now the feminine and the masculine are working in right relation, transferring intentions, no matter how big the dream, no matter how big the fantasy, applying it to practicality so that we arrive at a solution. That's beautiful, man. It's very representative of the way I organize my mind around masculine and feminine. And I can also admit that I've put a lot more time investment into my masculine, especially once I married my wife and then we had our first child. We've been married six years. We got pregnant three months after we got married. So at that moment, my provider kicked into high gear. And what I witnessed my whole life was my dad in that hyper-masculine results action role. Previous to that, and my wife has even said this to me recently, she said, wow, when I met you, and I don't mean this, she's like, I don't mean this disparagingly, but when I met you, you were so much more in your feminine. You were very spiritual and about possibility. I was writing music when I met her. I recorded an album and then boom, we get married and my provider kicks into high gear. And then because I didn't have a really strong masculine up to that point in my life, I invested that time of my life to just ratchet it up. I was like, wow, I can really make a lot of things happen by doing this. But there was that incongruency, that misalignment between those two pieces of myself. And I also spent a lot of time around guys who put more emphasis on their masculine, almost to the point, no, actually to the point where to be feminine was wrong, was not going to help you in your life as a man. And I know that that's still the prevailing message, even for those of us who say, no, you know, having a, being a feminine man is okay, right? That message is out there, but I know underneath that it's really not because we still don't have an appropriate context for what that actually means. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and this always comes back to the physical gender. If I'm a gender male, then I'm encouraged and also sentenced to favor my masculine. Otherwise, I risk being emasculated, whatever that means. And there's uh, nothing more threatening to the gendered male than shame. So it's aligning myself to a narrative, applying accuracy to a narrative to remember, like I said before, that I don't even believe in and I don't even have faith in. What's that going to take me into? Resentment, dissociation. Now, what's so beautiful about my feminine, another skill that she has that can really alleviate that type of pressure, because let's face it, on a collective level, the masculine's exhausted. We're exhausted. It's been a performance after performance after performance. And no matter how much accolades we get, it's never enough. It's never enough. The insecurity is that profane. Now, the feminine, she has a beautiful skill to which she can kind of just like 
diffuse all of that. And it's called fairness. She reminds the masculine to be fair. And ultimately, to whom? Myself. Be fair. Be fair. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the tendencies for a feminine to go into saturation is to become whimsical, to go into a fantasy where the masculine can offer her tokens of practicality and say, you know what? I acknowledge that fantasy. I think it's beautiful. I believe we can make that practical. Let's do that together. So it's making it practical. They're listening to one another. She's seen him in overwhelm, in violence, in aggression. She says, let's be fair. Let's be fair first to ourselves. How do you feel right now? <sighs> I'm exhausted. I know. I know. You don't need to perform. And then causing a cessation, <sighs> pulling him into discernment. Here, hysteria, crisis, perform. I need to prove, compete, competition, comparisons. She's pulling him down into his natural throne, the heart space, where he can finally arrive at discernment. What do we find in discernment? quality, quality of life. And not just for me and for my family, but for a community, because she will teach him how to offer and share with a community, not just the self, because the masculine does have tendencies to become rigid. And that's because if we're a narratives of survival and defense, I need to hoard resources. I need to preserve just the life of myself and my chosen ones. But she reminds us, it's everyone. Let's ensure the quality of life for everyone. <laughs> okay. So next round of questions, because seriously, man, it's incredible what you're bringing to the table. I heard you describe the feminine and use the word faith. And that set me off on this idea. Uh, I just had a really close bro of mine on the show recently. And we were talking about decolonization and just this idea of decolonizing and basically letting go of the truth that's not ours, which you already spoke to as well without calling it decolonization. But then I think about faith and I think about organized religion. I won't, I won't nail down any specific one, but just organized religion and the perpetuation of it on a mass scale and how masculine those styles of religion and faith are. There's, you know, repeating the same things over and over and over again, sitting at attention, you know, doing something in repeated measure without that fluid nature that is the feminine that to me, that's just like, wow, that's completely incongruent with the spirituality that seems most natural to me. Obviously, they go hand in hand. And I spend a lot of time inside of the Native American church. So there's always that fire element. And then there's always that water element. And even within the elements, they talk about the masculine waters and the feminine waters and the masculine fire and the feminine fires. And so it's not so black, white, this, that, you know, masculine is all geometry and data collection and feminine is just fluid and unpredictable. But the fact that that has found its way into organized religion on a mass scale, intentional, deliberate, you know, <laughs> what do we want to call it? How do we want to break that apart? Well, I would like to share that. And I experienced this myself. This is one of the ways I resurrected my own feminine is, and this is what perhaps has led to such distortions as translating faith as, as control, which it is not. So my feminine had to reaffirm two really important things. One is authority, her authority to be seen and heard for the memory to be seen and heard to become exposed. And then two is consent to reaffirm her right to consent, my consent to express my memory, not needing accolades. And, and I say it like this, <laughs> in the most humble way, 
But when I share from the space of my feminine, nao, the unihipili, as we see in the language, from the space of my feminine, when I share my memory, when I share my kirkahi, my gifts, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And I'd be so grateful. Thank you. And I love you. It's affirming that authority that I will be seen and I will be heard and, and that I have the consent to do so. So now there's so much that's coming at us in the external conditions. We, we've been sentenced to all these identities and roles, lest we risk being emasculated or lest we risk not be seen as a reliable woman. So here's what I do. I hold whatever's coming at me whether I feel inspired by it or whether I just, it's not a line, but I do this responsibly. I hold it. I apply it to my heart first and foremost. And I ask it the first fundamental question that to which I'm holding in my heart. Do I believe in it? Now, how do I reference belief? If I censor myself or if I conform, I don't believe in it. I'm performing. I'm attempting to apply accuracy to a narrative that I don't even believe in. And then the second question, the second question, after I determine, you know what? I don't censor myself. I don't conform. It's mine. It's not an imitation. Yeah, I believe in it. Okay. We're going to take it all the way down to the sacred space, Unihipili, the mystic. Now here in the mystic, I ask it the second fundamental question. Do I have faith in it? How do I reference faith? Do I not doubt it? Can I be held in it without suspicion? And I always, the analogy I like to use is, you know, when dogs are so relaxed and they go to sleep, their legs are in the air. It's like the ultimate surrender. I love, I love when I see dogs or I'm in the company of dogs when they do that. I'm like, yeah, they feel safe and they have faith around me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like that. Can I be held in my knowing and can I just fall asleep in it? That's how relaxed I am in it. So do I have faith in it? Now, I also apply that to that to which I feel is innately me. I am sure that it's not an imitation or I've not been influenced by someone else. I take it and I call this a software radiance because once I determine that I believe in it, once I determine that I have faith in it, okay, now speak. Otherwise, we're just contributing more and more assumptions more and more pollution, more and more confusion to a world that's already saturated on the brink, on the brink. We're at the point of breaking. It cannot get any more dense than this. We have to makdas, hui. So once I determine, yeah, that to which I know, I believe in it. That to which I know, I have faith in it. Okay, now speak, now share, now make contributions to a community. Mm. I really like that, man. That is very simple filtering system. It reminds me of something Bruce Lee said, which I repeat often here on the show, is that our job in developing and and stepping into who we are is to observe everything and take in what's useful and then make it uniquely your own. You know, this was like the philosophy he subscribed to developing his own martial arts system, because I don't know how much you know about Bruce Lee, but that was what he one thing he was well known for was he took traditional Kung Fu and he blended it with boxing and fencing and made it something completely different that launched him to being one of the most well-known martial artists of our time. And so what you just said right there to me is just an even more simplified version of take it in, decide if it really sits with you, not, not up here in the, in the head. People won't be able to see you on this, but they'll, you had your hands in your, on your heart when you said, do I believe in it? It's not, do I believe in it up here? Can I make sense of it conceptually? It's do I believe in it on my body? 
does it relax me in my belly to rest my faith in it? And then you brought it back up to the voice, right? To the mouth, to speaking and expressing it out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because once those two are determined, then now I can transfer and make it relatable. Then I can make it relatable so I can resource the logical and the methodical in order to make that to which I believe in and have faith in relatable. Yeah, brother. Yes. So let's take this now because I want to find a way to package it up for guys. I'm already hearing in my head you're going to say, but baby steps, like one step at a time, right? You don't have to completely flip the whole world on its axis today. So how does somebody who is beginning to tune in to that really deep truth. I don't, I don't know what else to call it, but the only truth that really exists deep down below and then wanting to express that in the world around them that probably, because I imagine if somebody's hearing this and they're like, okay, there's a lot of lies that I've been subscribing to and believing in. And now I'm in a world, in a community, in a lifestyle that has, it's just wrapped in lies, the things that aren't actually congruent with me. How do I work my way out of that? How do I set up my life so that it's not only is it amenable to the way I want to live, but it's receptive to that truth that I want to express? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, and you know, once again, for applying focus on the masculine, remember gendered women. So the women who are listening to you're also 100% masculine. So this also applies to you. One thing that the masculine must remove itself from is reaction is reaction. Now, the greatest way to do that is to learn how to feel it, not think it. Place it in your body. Allow the body to discern, how does this feel? And then share. And then offer opinion. And then offer grievances. And then offer solutions. Don't think it. Feel it first. Place it in the body. Allow the body to make discernments. And the body being an instrument, this is a sacred instrument. And let me just remind you that this animate world, the world of form, it may never be again, ever. What we are experiencing now is so incredibly phenomenal. So let's just be present where we are now, resource the instrument, the body, the conduit, and allow the body to now begin to participate in this experience, remove ourselves from hysteria, crisis, reaction, allow the body to feel it, feel it, feel it, drop into discernment, and then share. Hmm, yeah, this is how I feel. This is not how I think, this is how I feel. It's beautiful, man. I know that that's something that a lot of us, men and women, especially the guys who are listening, could lean into more, and myself included, is because that that was something I was taught, even in stepping into men's work early on, was that having emotions as a man often leads to disaster. I still find some truth in that. If you let your emotions lead your entire life without bringing balance to it with, I guess, the logic or the practical side of things, it's out of balance based on what I'm hearing you say. But there is so much resistance in the messaging to experiencing emotions because of what we've been taught and told over the years. Yeah. And, and you know, the gender male, especially with the participation with emotions is because of conditioning, we learn how and it's actually encouraged upon us to apply emotions with this sense of urgency, urgency. Now, if I'm in survival and defense, I'm the divine protector. That means that I have no time to discern my emotion. I need to act now. And even when we're not uh, applied with crisis, 
it's very common that the gendered male always applies urgency with the emotion. Now, I read this article. It was a credible article in Men's Journal, and it talked about how these studies showed that men, gendered men, fall in love harder than women because they apply urgency. Whereas the woman, she can hold an entire community. She can discern an entire, how is this going to be? How will this be? What's the probability of this? Where he's like, now, we need to act now. We need to go for it. So it's allowing the brothers and the divine masculine within for the gendered sisters to no longer subscribe to that urgency, that reaction. Feel it before I think it. Feel first. What do you have to say about the relationship with time? Because now you're mentioning urgency and I've got all of these like messages that I've heard from other guys, older guys that I respect about time and urgency that I'm like, I'm reconsidering. Like, hmm, interesting. Is that how I want to be with it? So what do you have to say about time? So this is what I love to do concerning time because time is a wonderful asset for innovation. It can be a resource for incredible innovation, but not if I'm in crisis, survival, and defense. So I always do this practice, brother. Whenever I feel that cortisol and that sense of urgency, like, ah, first, I become very practical knowing that the language of the masculine, the language of logic is practicality, all right? No embellishments, not a fantasy. So I'm like, all right, brother, I know you're here, brother. I'm touching my head, by the way. I know you're here. <laughs> I'm going to be very practical with you right now. Okay. I'm going to look around my immediate environment. All right. I see a lamp. I see a rug. I see a ceiling. I see a really beautiful painting. I'm smelling this. I'm sensing this. And guess what, brother? The one thing that I didn't sense is danger. I have just determined that our life is not in danger. I give you permission to rest. And I tap my head. I say, drop, drop, drop. I pull him down into the heart space. Now I placed him back into discernment. I know the only reason why you're in crisis hysteria, urgency, is because you want a project. You want a project. I just placed you in the heart, in discernment, the longevity of quality of life. There's your project move that. <laughs> wow, man. I'm just thinking of all the times that I've rushed my kids into the car saying, we're going to be late to get you to school. Let's go, 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 go. And it pains me because like you said, there is, there's a, a utility to time. And you think you said innovation and, I, and that's amazing. I really believe that. And it also pains me that we put so much stress and pressure on ourselves. And then that stress and pressure has caused me physical ailments. It's caused me back injuries. So I see that connection. I'm like, wow, I was ratcheting up my urgency, caused me to have dysfunction in my body, including my spine. And then that's leading me all the way full circle back to the beginning of this conversation. Now I'm blocking my access to all of this wisdom that lives inside of my spinal cord and in that spinal fluid in that DNA. And then what? Then grief, then sadness. And then before you know it, we're talking about why there's nine out of 10 suicides are male. Why there's so many of us who are exiting because we don't know what else to do with all the stuff that we're experiencing. So it's really profound when you're sharing here today, man. I'm 
I'm really inspired to continue learning more and hearing more of your message and more of what you have to share. I think, again, I'll say I'm really grateful that Ryan connected us and brought you on here today, man. I had had no idea what I was really in for today, but I'm grateful that you were able to transmit it the way you did. I've got a couple of really quick closing questions for you, but I thought before I asked you those, is there anything else that you feel has been left unsaid or unspoken for now that you want to slip in there? Well, I just wanted to share with everyone, you know, we are going through a monumental shift and there's a lot of discomfort in the shift. And I just wanted to share what my grandmother used to tell me about times like this. She would say that its greatest harm is simply that it's an inconvenience. That's all. Learn how to innovate through an inconvenience. Be present to innovate, to transform it. And of course, like I was saying, it's determining, is my immediate environment harming me right now? Am I in imminent danger? That's the only reason why I should be in survival and defense. Otherwise, I go into the cessation so that I can once again enter discernment, go into discernment for quality of life. Now, if my life is ever truly in danger or the loved ones around me is ever truly in danger because I have not exploited that skill of the masculine, he will become my hero. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the time when we want that big energy to show up, right? Right. Right. Not exhausted and then go into hopelessness. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's another thing just before we cut to the final questions is that exhaustion of the masculine, of the warrior mentality of always being on guard, always being on duty. I don't care who you are. There's no superhumans out there that can sustain that for a long period of time, a lifetime. I mean, that's why so many men are broken. And, you know, I mean, it's the reason why we lead in every major health category that doesn't involve breasts or ovaries is because we aren't taking care of ourselves. We're in this long-term sustained cortisol stress state and it's not good for us, man. It's not good for us. Yeah. And I have the best way. There's a quote from Bob Marley. Love this. This goes out to all the brothers. The quote is, the biggest man you ever did see was once a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, man. I love that. So much good stuff here. Let me hit you with these questions. Then you can tell everybody where to find you to connect more with this medicine that you have in your body and in your mind, man. And then we'll wrap it up. So what is one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Ah, Okay. I wish that I knew I had a choice to go by way of grace or by trauma. Mm. Yeah. I wish I learned that one way earlier than 18 too. (laughs) Beautiful. Um, And what do you think is the most important value to have? Usually I say the most important value as a man, but I'll say as a human. I'm going to go back to what I say my superpower is androgyny. No longer holding the masculine or the feminine functions in favoritism, but allowing them to be in right relation and resourcing them based upon what my immediate environment requires. I love it, bro. And last but not least, where should people go to find you, to connect, to dial into some more of that beautiful wisdom you have? Just drop it all right here. Yeah, mahalo. Thank you, brother. So my website, I definitely have some awesome information there. Pohala.net. So it's spelled P-O-H-A-L-A.net. And I also hold free virtual workshops that I talk a lot about certain things about maybe for medicine, emotional intelligence, but also breathing and movement like Lulu, like I was talking about. I do offer uh, free community workshops. So definitely tune in for that. And then my Instagram is pohala underscore Hawaiian underscore botanicals. 
And in the stories every day, I'm just dropping some kind of EK based upon a specific fern medicine, a specific emotion. A lot of the posts are just me talking about a lot of what you and I just talked about now. Mm. And I can attest to it, man. I've been listening to some of your stories and it's, it's next level information. I feel, I see, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are repeating this level one information that's really valuable, but you're taking it to a, another level from a completely different context. I could feel how ancient that wisdom is when you speak. So everybody go follow Keone right now, because I'm telling you, it's, it's really awesome stuff, bro. I am so looking forward to having you back on here again. And even also building a relationship with you. Cause there's a deep resonance, bro. I'm sure there's a word in your language for that, but <laughs> I, I feel it. And I'm really grateful that we got to chat today. Mahalo brother. The word would be maka maka. Maka maka. Maka maka. And I feel the maka maka. Yeah, brother. Let's continue this epic journey of clarification and sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Beautiful brother. Well, thank you for your time, your energy, your wisdom, your grace. And I look forward to catching up with you here again sometime soon. Mahalo. Thank you, brother. Aloha. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As you could obviously tell from listening to this one, Keone is somebody that I absolutely respect and admire for the wisdom that he carries in this world. Make sure you go follow him. We didn't even get a chance to talk about fern medicine and the, the relationship that he's developed with plants and what he's been taught from his ancestors and relatives over the years. Truly extraordinary. So make sure you go check him out, follow him up on Instagram and see everything he's putting out into the world, including his daily stories. He's just got some next level wisdom that he's dropping about stuff that I I've never heard from anybody out there. So make sure you go follow him, check him out. Head over to risingman.org to find a way to plug yourself into the Rising Man movement in a bigger way, as well as accessing show notes for links and resources for this episode and every other one that we've got going on. Make sure you subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast so that you get the downloads each and every week, Mondays and Thursdays. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Shout out to my power team, Julian, Sean, Ryan, Rowan, and Mark for holding it down heavy. I love you guys. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.